Hello, everyone. This is the PM versus PMM podcast, a podcast about products and product roles. My name is Aditi. And my name is Arjun. And we have a special guest joining us for this week's episode. Welcome, Sanjana Naik, to the podcast. How are you doing? Good. Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor. I usually just do product management. I don't usually talk about it. Can you introduce yourself? What do you do? What's your background? Yeah, definitely. So I did biomedical engineering in my studies, but when it comes to work, I've transitioned kind of by luck chance into product management. And right now, a product manager at a medical device company in the Bay Area. I have been doing it for a little more than three years now. Awesome. We're super glad to have you here. We usually start with a little opening topic, and I was wondering, would y'all rather travel to Paris or Tokyo? I'll take it first. I actually would rather go to Tokyo. I've heard people are very snooty in Paris. I this mean, is firsthand information from my brother who's been to Paris. <laughs> I'll do the snooty answer, just I've been to Paris. <laughs> so you'd both rather go to Tokyo? Yeah, definitely. I haven't been to Tokyo yet. But I really like Paris, despite the snootiness that you may encounter. I just think it's a beautiful city, so I really like it there. But I would also like to go to Tokyo because I've never been. So. Cool. I would love to go see the cherry blossoms in Tokyo, honestly. That's like my yeah. goal. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely like my next place. So. Okay, PM versus PMM trip to Tokyo. Coming up <laughs> on today's episode, we're talking about managing up, which is the art of helping yourself succeed by helping the people you work for succeed. For our news topic, we're going to be talking about the Kakovka Dam in Ukraine that got destroyed. All right, let's start with the topic. Aditi, would you like to introduce managing up? So managing up is something that I learned on the job. It wasn't something that I was taught beforehand. It's it's about not only understanding what you need from a job and what you need to do. It's more about understanding who your boss is, how they communicate, and figuring out how to best cooperate and figure out what are some boundaries, what are some expectations that are being set so that you can get the most out of the opportunity that you're working on. And this is important for a lot of reasons. One, obviously, it opens a lot of doors in your career. If you have a good relationship with your boss, they're more likely to like recommend you for new projects. You're going to be on top of mind when it comes to promotions or you're going to have a better performance review, stuff like that. And when you do good work, you feel better about yourself. At least I do. So for those many reasons, I do think that managing up is a skill that everyone should acquire at some point. And it helps when you become a manager yourself. Because then you understand how your manager was and what kind of a manager you want to be. Yeah, for sure. I think it's not a process of like kissing up or inflating egos. It's really a process of like getting work done. Sanjana, I really want to ask you, do you manage up in your current job? And what do you think like is the right places to do it versus the wrong places to do it? That's a really good question because you do approach it with some sensitivity, especially if you haven't been at the job for too long, you just got a new manager. And I think the the right place to do it is definitely coming from like an understanding place first. I think I start by investigating and understanding like what are my managers like goals, priorities, even if they don't have it crystallized for themselves. It's good to just ask the question and And I think that's the first step of managing up. It's like 
what is important now? Why is it important? And coming from a place of learning and curiosity. And then you start building kind of a picture of like larger dynamics at play. Because when you, we might not be managers ourselves, but if you intend to be, or you're always going to have one, it's reality that they're playing with a lot more politics or a lot more other factors that we're protected from. And at least I can start by having empathy towards that. Yeah, for sure. I really love that point on empathy. I think that when it comes to this, like some people might be really confused because like that person that is your manager, it literally has manage in the title, right? And so shouldn't they be managing you? Like, does it feel really wrong to manage up because your title does not have manager in it? Technically, mine does, but <laughs> I'm supposed to be managing. Product that. manager. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Product managers aren't people managers, right? And so in in this sense, does it does it feel wrong to to be managing? I think in some ways we all have a right to be a little bit like frustrated that like and and you should feel those things like let yourself get get angry a little bit like be like oh why aren't they like already noticing what I need this and that but then also like you know once you get through that vent to your friends kind of sit down and think like practically what can you do because this is going to have to be a likely a thing in any career you take on your your manager is not going to be ever perfect or understand every gap or hole in their own management style so and it might not always fit yours but unlike a doctor or a friend that you can pick and choose you're usually not able to pick and choose your manager so you're gonna have to shore up some gaps or be better about communicating your needs mm-hmm. so when it comes to communicating your personal goals in your career and what goals your supervisor may have are there any points that you keep in mind whenever you're having a conversation like that one? I think because in medical device, we're talking about a highly regulated field with long timelines. It's it's a good place to even start about like thinking like, what's the long-term goal? What do we want to get done in this year? Mm-hmm. And understand kind of working from there backwards, like these are the business priorities, especially as a product manager or a product marketing manager. Like what these are the business priorities, these are the goals of our organization in the in the long near term. And then of those things, like this is my job at the end of the day, it's not my entire life. Like of those things, like what is the most appealing to me? What feels the most challenging? What could be just a one step out of my comfort zone if I'm not willing or right now I have other things going on in my life that I don't want to like full on take on the hardest thing that's out there that might be even out of my scope and then using that as like a framework to be like let's have a conversation with my management about what's like something that he or she wants to focus on right now yeah Yeah. I think bringing strengths and weaknesses up is like a really interesting thing because not only do we have strengths and weaknesses but our managers also have strengths and weaknesses and in order for us to like have an effective work relationship I think we need to understand what our strengths and weaknesses and our manager's strengths and weaknesses are and how they like fit together and how we could work together then communicating through that to being really well or to getting like the work done at the end of the day, right? Product's job is to make products. And so whatever needs to happen to get the work done, you got to like work through those strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And honestly, it's, this is something that I've experienced in the past where it's when you have your boss's goals and you have your own goals, 
at certain points, they're quite similar. You're both trying to get some sort of a product launched or you're trying to get some features ready. So sometimes there's a sense of overstepping from your supervisor and there can be some boundaries that are crossed, whether it's on your end or on their end. And it's incredibly important, in my opinion, to communicate when those boundaries are crossed so that you can understand, okay, what are they looking for? What is the speed that they're looking for? Sometimes you are thinking that maybe if something happens in a day or two, it's fine, but they're expecting it to happen the same day or something like that. And so setting those boundaries, figuring out what their expectations are on and off the job and having that open conversation, especially when it's a new manager. I've experienced this, experienced this a lot more with new managers where they are still trying to get into the views of being a manager and they're trying to figure themselves out too. So having that conversation early on can really help them understand how they want to manage their team as well. I think sure. one place that not only new managers, it's like IC managers that are both ICs themselves and managing where they are also, that's my specific experience where like my manager is trying to learn as I'm also learning the same thing and I'm watching them struggle. And then I also am like, okay, clearly I can't ask you for help. Let me like dig into like what we need to learn here. And then like, let's share information back and forth. And that becomes kind of its own flavor of managing. Wait, hold up. I'm really interested in that. I want to dig in a bit. So when you say like your manager is also an IC, that means like your manager is also the product manager of other products. They're not, their whole job is not just to manage other people. They're also managing some products, which is, I, I think, fairly fair. And so in yours, in your case, like you and your manager are learning about the products that you, you're the product manager of together. Yeah, I think that ended up being the case. And my manager had a less technical background and I had the more technical background. You could get more technical than me, but that's why I chose to be a product manager, not a software engineer. But because I was able to be more technical, I was able to have more like deep dives with engineers and then understand like, hey, this is how like the whole stack works. And this is how it impacts a certain decision on scalability or X, Y, Z. And so I could take those conversations and actually be explained to my manager, like these, this is why we need to make a certain decision. And I think in all of managing up the thread, along with helping your career and helping you do good work, it's like also like it builds trust ultimately that like Sanjana has done her homework or Arjun and Aditi have done their work to actually say like, this is what I think we need to do. And it takes a little bit of like stepping down from ego or whatnot that the manager has to do to understand that okay let's trust this person and they've done their job and then yeah it does get you those could get you those benefits of helping you along at the company at the company and your career as well right yeah it opens positions for you that's really awesome one of the things i also wanted to touch on that that you mentioned was like transparency among the boundaries right like I had an eng manager when I was an engineer and I would try to manage him up a little bit, but he was also just so freaking good at being incredibly transparent with me that it was, it was like very easy to be transparent back with him. And we just had very open line of communication about like, what is the goal of the team that I'm on? What is my goal in my career? What's his goal as a manager? And that transparency ended up helping us align where we could and, and really like 
it didn't even feel like managing each other at that point. It really just felt like two people who are colleagues who are also friends, like helping each other get to whatever our priorities are together, you know? And I think that in that scenario, it's like best case, right? Yeah, it's incredibly important for me to have like open communication with your manager. There was one time when I was doing like a pre-performance review meeting with a manager and they came in to the meeting and they had no idea what my background was. And I would walk out of the meeting feeling like they didn't care about what my career looked like and what I wanted in the future. They asked me about my future at the company, but not what my professional and personal goals were. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you're managing managing a team and you're managing people, I personally feel like you have to understand what their personal goals are to be able to understand how they can grow in the position that they're in. And when you come into a meeting not knowing what who that person is, what their background is, like it just it can feel a little humiliating for that person in the meeting. And that's that's how I felt. And I don't think that anyone should feel like that in a meeting. And as a manager, it's your job to know who you're working with. Does it work the other way then too, Aditi? That it like definitely does. Yeah, you should know about like what your manager's goals are outside of the company, career goals and stuff like that. Yeah, it definitely works both ways. When you're working with a manager, like I've always done my homework when it comes to whether it's a new manager, new company, or whatever. I've always done my homework. I've gone into all meetings knowing what their LinkedIn looks like, whatever their past work is, what companies have they been at before, how long have they been at the current company, stuff like that. I've always mm-hmm. done my homework because like like we said, knowing who that person is builds trust. It builds a sense of like you care about that person. And when you care about another person, they have a higher chance of caring about you. And I think that can help foster a better relationship between IC and manager. And because like Sanjana, you said, we don't really choose who our managers are. Fostering a better relationship between them from your end can really help foster a good relationship. Yeah. I'm curious. I feel like your story, like it sucks. And I I think I've heard hear it more often than not these days. Why do you, why do you think like we're, it feels like there's like a trend of like, you know, management is just too busy to care about you almost. I feel like they're, at least in the situation that I was in, it was just the company going too fast. And the person just didn't have time, didn't have the energy to really understand what they need to do as a manager. They were just kind of just thrown into the role expecting, and their manager was kind of just expecting them to know what to do. And their manager was a great person. He managed me for a while before we moved on, but the whole situation was just like, because at a startup, we're moving at such a high pace, they are just working on so many things. And when you put two ICs on their plate, sometimes it can feel like they don't know how to manage all that work. And mm-hmm. it can take a minute for them to really balance priorities and understand, okay, so this is what it means to manage people, especially when it's a first-time manager. Yeah, for sure. And I think Ben Horowitz talks about it in his book too, Hard Thing About Hard Things. He talks about how like we get promoted into manager roles for doing a really good job in that previous role. Not necessarily because, and then we're expected to learn the new skills of a manager but 
there's no training that's been done for all of those new skills that come with that new manager role. Actually, sorry, it wasn't Ben Horowitz that talks about it. I think it's Simon Sinek. I'm mixing the two. One of the two of them, <laughs> they talk about how like essentially people get put into management positions without the training required to be a manager. And that's why I think managing up becomes so important because it's essentially about being on the same page with your manager in order to get things done. Sanjana, I want to give you the chance to have some last words before we move on to our news topic. Anything else you'd like to say about our discussion today and about managing up? Yeah, I think obviously, I think it's kind of a bit more emotional because you're like managing up feels like you're doing someone else's job for them. And so once you get past that, I I think it's becoming an, a kind of a more common tool in everyone's toolkit and learning it early is probably a good way to keep yourself moving in the direction you need to go. So you are in charge and controlling kind of your career, despite the gaps in management you'll feel and how companies' aggressive goals trickle down into your managers kind of like losing track of you. And I I think it's it's great that we're talking, we talked about it and it keeps in front of everyone's minds. For sure. There's some excellent resources online from Harvard Business Review and some books as well, if you if you want to know more about this topic. All right, let's move on to our news segment. Aditi, Sanjana, did either of you hear about the Kakovka Dam in Ukraine that got blown up? Not me. <laughs> I only heard about it because of origin, but that's because I've just been a little bit toning that back the news these days for my own. <laughs> Actually, the reason why I put it as the news topic is because I didn't hear about it really anywhere at all. And I think that our news cycle is so crazy about stuff that uh, doesn't really matter that as much that I think I wanted to kind of be the change I want to see in the world and make our news topic today about something that isn't getting as much attention. So the Kakovka Dam is a dam in the Russian-controlled part of Ukraine. It holds back a ton of water that is used for hydro power as well as for like the ecology of that section of Ukraine. And it got destroyed last Monday, so a week ago. And it's unofficial. It's not known who who is responsible for destroying the dam officially. But yeah, it was it it held back the Kakovka Sea and essentially has displaced a lot of people. And people are calling it an ecocide because a lot of like animals and plants and, and wildlife and nature has been completely submerged underwater. The pictures are quite terrible. And also part of the situation is that this is a dam, but flooding and and insane flooding has been, heavy flooding has been happening all over the world as global warming shifts the weather patterns and increases the amount of rain going on. And it's it's a really sad kind of thing that happened. If, do do any of you have any thoughts on that? Have Have any of you experienced flooding before? Not flooding like where I am, but mm-hmm. I do know people who've been affected by flooding in India before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, due to rain? No, it was due to a dam bursting. It was actually oh, wow. a few years ago in Chennai. My mm-hmm. my aunt lives there. 
and when the dam burst in Chennai, they were affected by the by the flooding that happened in the city at that time. Did they have to evacuate and stuff? They didn't. They were in a better part of Chennai where they didn't have to evacuate, but they were still affected by it. And they also are live on like the second floor of a nice building, so they it's not too terrible for mm-hmm. them personally. But the city was affected by it a lot. They were affected by it for some time. And it was just a really bad situation in general. They it's so flooding is definitely something that I'm not unaware of, but not something that has happened to me personally. I don't know about you guys. No, I've never experienced flooding either, although it is raining a lot here in Toronto. Personally, I haven't either, but my my grandparents live on like the first floor of a flat in Mumbai and they actually had a like a crazy flood that had them lose a lot of their I think of the things they mentioned the most that were lost it's like like pictures and photos and memories of like everything and so they don't have anything of that anymore and I think on the scale of what you could lose that one feels like the most like inconsequential but like it it comes to it reminds me of how like you know like even like just the smallest of physical things like mean so much and like such a freaking huge disaster has probably done like so much you always look at like the numbers like billions of dollars of damage blah 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 but like the things you can't count (laughs) or quantify is probably kind of even I actually think those personal aspects are the ones that are the worst to lose because those are the ones that are irreplaceable like I don't know what I would do if I lost like the little notes that I've gotten over the years from friends and family or like family pictures from when I was young or stuff like that like because if I lost a nightstand or something, like I can replace that. That's not a big deal. But mm-hmm. a picture from when I was five years old is irreplaceable. I don't have any other versions of it anywhere. Yeah. So part of the, the flood in Ukraine, the whole city of Kherson, which is not like a gigantic city, but it's like medium size, got got completely flooded. And so there's a, probably a lot of the situation happening, you know, where items that hold so much importance in our hearts are, are getting destroyed. Ukrainian officials stated that over 40,000 people needed to leave the area, evacuate the area. And so that's a lot of like loss, you know. I also feel like people who are affected by these kind of natural disasters or human-made disasters, whichever one you would want to call it, are the ones who have the least to their name, you know? They are, like, either living in poverty or near poverty, and they they don't have the money to rebuild their lives, and mm-hmm. they are the ones who are usually affected by stuff like this. And it's just hard, because people who can maybe come back from it are the ones who are least affected by it. I think the scary thing about what you said there and the little correction you made about whether it's natural or man-made is actually quite interesting because initially I was also like because you're right it affects the people who can do the least about it and whether it's global warming or climate change that is like causing the excessive rains that is causing a flood or quite literally someone bombing a dam which it's easier to point fingers about whose fault this one is and how avoidable it could have been versus something like climate change where it's been longstanding and like everyone's been like slowly inching towards like this thing that we've been doing to ourselves. But this one like I think hurts a bit more because it didn't it really didn't feel like it needed to happen. It was senseless. It definitely it did not need to happen. All right. Thanks y'all for chatting about this. And 
and raising awareness about ecocides throughout our world. Let's move on to our fun facts. Sanjana, you're our guest. Would you like to give your fun fact first? Yes. As a proud Californian, my fun fact is that the the classic Windows 95 background with the green rolling hills is out here in my favorite part of wine country, Sonoma. And <laughs> cool. I've seen those hills before, and I had thought once upon a time, like, oh, these kind of look like the windows backer. And then guess what? They are. <laughs> and I did That's know that it. recently. I had no idea. It, it, it's so lush that I always thought it was like fake, you know? <laughs> Probably a little fake. Some editing. Some editing. Editing, you're up. All right. So my fun fact is a little different. So my fun fact, the actor who played King Kong in the movie King Kong, was actually five foot ten. So he was filmed in a forced perspective that made him look a lot larger than he was. Wow. Which I think is really cool. Because yeah. they didn't have as much CGI and like they weren't able to use all the effects that we have now. So they had to use like clever camera work to make him look a lot bigger. That's pretty awesome. For for my fun fact, I wanted to talk about Mario Puza. He's the author of The Godfather and also adapted his novels into screenplays and won two Oscars for screenwriting. It turns out that after winning his two Oscars, he decided, hey, let me buy a book on screenwriting to like learn how to do this properly. And in the first chapter, it said, study Godfather 1. So it goes to show you that even if you're not an expert, you can do a great job. Thank you everyone for listening. That's our show. Thanks for listening and thank you Sanjana for being here and, and being our guest. We love talking about products and we're doing this to learn and express ourselves. We want to hear from you guys. If you have any ideas or you'd like to be a guest just like Sanjana, reach out to us on LinkedIn. My name is Arjun Kalurgi and I'm with Aditi Patel. We would absolutely love to have you be a part of it. There is actually another guest on our podcasts every week, and it's Aditi's dog, Mimi. Aditi, do you ever talk to Mimi? I talk to her all the time. I feel like I talk to her more than most I read online that it's mood boosting. Is that true? It definitely is. But I feel like I don't talk to her as much as I just yell at her for doing <laughs> Just before we started recording, she was chewing up my joggers. Because there's like oh, a no. on knit leg. So I was like, can you stop that? <laughs> I love how she's turned to face us now. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about her. <laughs> okay, well, bye Mimi. Bye Mimi. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time. All right.